for local talk weekday mornings. The Morning Drive News Talk WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive. Everybody, Kurt and Anthony here. And joining us in studio now is Emma Mulvaney-Stanick. She is then the first one out of the gate running for mayor of Burlington, the open seat on March 5th. That's correct. Good morning, Emma. Good morning. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks for coming in this morning. And I know Emma well. I served on the city council with her. I think we both served on the board of finance together. We did. Uh, and I, in fact, I remember asking you many years ago about running for mayor, and you said, someday. Yep. Here and we are. Here we are. <laughs> uh, so, Emma, first of all, uh, for those of our listening audience who don't know, I know you well, but uh, give us a little bit about your history, and then we'll... Uh, and uh, then we'll, it, both personal and political history, and then we'll jump into asking questions about the uh, issues of the day in Burlington. Great. Sounds great. Well, uh, I am a proud uh, kid who grew up in Barry City, Vermont, and I always say Barry City, not Barry Town. There are uh, different communities, and my parents still live there today. And I, uh, so I went through the Spalding High School and then went off to college out of state, but knew pretty immediately after I graduated I wanted to come back home to Vermont. I was a political science major, and there's nothing like the access to government here in the state with our town meeting, with our state legislature, where you can walk right in, where half the time you know your state legislator because there's such a local access element, which is such a great part of our vibrant democracy here in the state. So I came right home, and one of my first uh, jobs as a young 20-something was actually being a lobbyist, an advocate in the state house, which I thought was such a bizarre thing that you could just become a lobbyist in the state. It's a great accessible thing. I, I uh, lobbied on minimum wage issues and economic justice and actually passed, um, helped pass a bill to put the COLA, the cost of living adjustment on minimum wage, which is still on that uh, on that wage uh, indicator every year. So I'm pretty proud of that if for achieving that in my first 20 years. But I cut my teeth. I saw a lot in the legislature that really opened my eyes around who gets to serve, um, around who's not at the table because of economics or because of um, inability to run because you have small kids. Um, there, there's, I got to see the underside of this great, vibrant democracy that I, I thought I lived in. Um, and then went on and decided uh, a couple years later to run for city council out of the old North End. So I served in Ward 2 and in Ward 3. Uh, it was a very interesting time. Kurt will probably remember. We went through a big crisis of Burlington Telecom. I came in on maybe like months after the news broke, and I thought, well, what in the world did I just do? Got myself yeah. into these endless city council meetings, unpacking that. Uh, and speed ahead, uh, I've been a labor organizer most of my life, so I really got um, quite a quite a uh, experience going all over the state, really understanding how school districts work, how um, edu- how we support our public school system, et cetera. And then uh, eventually decided during the darkness times of uh, COVID to run for the state legislature, because if not now, when? Right. Uh, and as a mom of two small kids, you get you. I had a lot of reflection time during lockdown, during COVID. And uh, I was proud to run and win. And now I serve on the House Commerce and Economic Development Committee. Um, I'm the leader of the House Progressive Caucus. Uh, so I'm part of House leadership. And it's been a, a really wonderful experience uh, serving again in public service. Yeah. And, and so you, so during COVID, did you have the time? Was it a lot of people? We, we, we talked to people that decided to get involved in politics, you know, and, and, and COVID, like you said, during the lockdown, you had, had time to kind of think about it. And is that is really talk just briefly about how that decision process happened? Sure. Well, as I mentioned before, I in my earliest early parts of my career, I noticed how hard it was for having people with young kids, women, 
uh, people who are not wealthy or retired serve in the legislature. And uh, I was running my own business. I still do at this. I'm a, I run a consulting business and I had the flexibility really for the first time. And I uh, and my wife has the health insurance. So we were able to make it work. And I also uh, was really concerned about issues of affordable child care and paid family leave, things that I was actively living through mm-hmm. and seeing all of my peers struggling with uh, the struggles of what do you do when child care <clears throat> literally shuts down, which yeah. did for all of us during COVID. What do you do when you cannot find a house that you can possibly afford even with two incomes? What do you do? in the city of Burlington uh, where it feels like affordability is uh, not a priority at this at this point when you have there's um, I live in the old north end still and across the street this apartment building which is not high end is charging we have a babysitter who lives across the street two thousand dollars for yeah. a three bedroom that's probably not even technically a three bedroom so I just realized it was it was time to put myself forward and um, and it resonated with my neighbors and I'm proud to be the first progressive elected into the new north end I represent uh, Chittenden 17 which goes all the way up to Letty Park and Ethan Allen Park. Now let me ask you, Emma, why Why now? Why did you decide to enter this race now? Uh, was it only after Moreau decided, announced that he was not going to run? Or were you going to prepare to run against the mayor even if he had decided to run? Well, you know me well, Kurt. I've been thinking about this for a very long time. And I was thinking of running even despite what Moreau decided, the, um, the mayor decided to do or not. Because the city is really at a, at a turning point. I think you were all talking about this before I came in studio. And uh, I am a mom of two small kids. I'm not going anywhere. I love this city deeply. Um, I'm all in for this community. And yet what we've been doing is not working. Uh, the Old North End has had you know issues for, for years around um, a lack of police response and you know the, the quality of life in our, in our neighborhood, street repair not happening in a with a quick enough, <laughs> quick enough response from the city. Um, but now we're at a crisis level where we're seeing open suffering in our streets. We see people who are unhoused. We have see people who are in the throes of substance use disorder, uh, you know, not, a, not able to access mental health treatment. Um, and so I want to rebuild our, our sense of community. Um, I built my whole career on collaboration and deep problem solving. And I want to bring those skills back from Montpelier back to Burlington. And in particular, I think that strength of my role and my serving in state legislature uh, and knowing how state government operates is a real strength that our city has not leveraged enough because these problems are much bigger than Burlington and we cannot solve them by ourselves. So let's get into some of these issues, uh, Emma. And one of the things you just mentioned, uh, I want to read a quote from you. I think it was, it was a social media post from August 14th, 2022. And you say in this post, the dangerous pattern among local police declining to make arrests to feed fear among residents is wrong, period. Our communities deserve reforms to address dehumanizing parts of our criminal justice system and safe communities. Uh, you go on a little bit from there, but that's the crux of this. Of the, I've talked to the chief of police. I've talked to, because this has been brought up before, I've talked to men and women that serve in the Burlington Police Department, and they have completely rejected the idea that they ever did not make an arrest that they believed they should to try to spread fear in the community so that they uh, would win people's opinions over on for some reforms or not against some reforms. Do you stand by that, that you think the police are sometimes not making arrests just because they want to spread fear in the community? I well, I I really have thought a lot about this because I think what's happened in our city is a divisive um, messaging out to the community where they're not responding because they say there is they don't have staff or they're not responding because that 
that uh, that call doesn't rise to the level of a response, and it's creating this this real felt and real sense of a lack of safety, and that's that's not acceptable. We need a police department. We need a response system that's appropriate. We need a um, a police department that's um, held accountable and one that actually um, responds and sends out a message of how do we work with community. I don't know if you remember when there was a community police or um, community based policing happening. There was about I don't know five eight years ago where police officers actually walk the streets in the old North End. I had not never seen that in my almost twenty years of living in the old North End. Um, I think we need different leadership and a different culture where there's creative thought and thinking innovatively around how we have a a um, holistic response to response where it's not just police officers it's part of a larger network of response so it's not just overworking our police to respond to every call either i was a labor organizer for most of my career so i have worked directly with folks who are you know on the front lines of our schools in this case but i have a deep respect for people who are um, on the front lines handling and and working with folks in this deep state of suffering um so it's it's very complicated but but kurt i really think it comes to culture and the messaging coming from leadership and having um uh, a better and higher expectation of what all city department heads do for the city we have to serve the community we community we have to respond appropriately um and there's no other answer but have you sat down with the chief of police and talked to him about this and other issues yet have you met with men and women and in the police department um, it just seems like how would you how would you operate as mayor and have their confidence if you publicly say and still believe that they literally are not making arrests that they think they should make because they want to spread fear in the community? I think they totally reject that premise. Well, I I am here to collaborate. I have it's been less than two weeks into this race, so I haven't sat down with department heads. It's also you know as a candidate you um you have to respect the fact that they these are city employees, and I don't want to overly politicize things, but am I Part of both my style and my um, approach to leadership is sitting down with folks uh, who are most impacted, who are on the front lines doing this work, um, to really hear their ideas and their solutions. I don't think people think in a monolith either. So um, that was probably more of a comment on just the leadership and the tone being set by um, the current mayor and and chief of police. Do do you think that it's not real, though, if they say that we have to make certain decisions about when we can respond? There are level, different level, level one, level two, level three crimes that sometimes because of the staffing issues that they've had brought on by the reduction in the force, that, that it is a real issue that they have to make. Unfortunately, they have to make decisions like that. Well, we have to, we, there's different, as I said before, there's, there's a, there's a, um, we have to get real about the type of response we're sending from the city. It shouldn't always be an armed police officer if it's a mental health crisis or, um, or an issue related to an overdose. And we've started a pilot program, of course, that you've probably talked about here with the fire department about a week ago. That's the kind of innovation that we need to take the pressure off of just expecting one entity of the city to be the single solution to all of our community suffering. That's, that's a, um, that, that is a, not, not the way that we're going to solve this, these complex problems. Um, I also think that the, uh, uh, making sure that we are looking at really the bill, rebuilding the culture. We have, we're not the only police department that's had trouble recruiting and retaining police officers and hiring folks into those positions. So we need to have, um, a real deep dive look at our culture. I want people to be proud to serve in the police department. Um, I have law enforcement in my family. Um, it's, it's really a, a larger issue than Burlington again about what it takes to build a police department and a community response in general that's appropriate for facing what Burlington's facing. It took over a year to get uh, Chief John Murad appointed as the permanent chief. Uh, the council rejected him first on a 6-6 vote, and it took about a year later before he was actually appointed as the permanent chief. As mayor, what would you do? Uh, I have, again, I have talked, I talked to many of the police officers in Burlington. 
Um, and I know many were felt very relieved that he was finally the permanent chief. They felt like there was finally some needed stability in the department. But now we're all wondering if there's a new mayor, what will the new mayor do? And so what will what would be your plan with Chief Mirad? I get this question a lot. Um, no surprise, right, uh, with what the city's facing. Um, and as I said before, I'm expect, expecting every city department leader to be one that wants to build trust, rebuild trust with our with our residents. Um, I want people to know that the city is going to respond. I'm going to have a high expectation of how department heads behave. Um, they have to set a higher tone. There was an article, which I haven't read yet. It dropped in seven days yesterday. I don't know if you've read it yet, um, around an investigation by the state around Chief Murad's behavior in the um, in the hospital uh, with the surgeon, I believe. Um, and I, 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 we should be having high expectations for leaders to set the tone we want for all police officers who are serving under them. But back, back to just what I expect in leaders in general. Um, I want folks who are going to collaborate, who are not going to add to the divisiveness that has been um, really sent our city in the completely wrong direction. We need people to come to the table to engage the community, to look at problem solving with folks who are living near hot spots, for example, and not be dismissive of other people's approach to how do we build a community safety strategy that will work. But don't you think that people are going to want to know real specifics as they move forward with the new mayor? They're going to want to know, like, hey, where do you stand? Will you reappoint the mayor, uh, the chief, excuse me, because we went through this long, long process of getting the chief. And and Manny, I can't speak for every police officer, obviously, but I've talked to a number of them who felt like, finally, we've got some stability. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people are really going to know, want to know if a new mayor is going to come in and immediately go off on another, uh, bringing another new chief in. Well, I think that uh, that people deserve um, decisiveness. Uh, I am a decisive person. I have set clear expectations, and I will make that clear for every department head. I do believe in continuity of government, but I also need leaders leading departments, if I'm mayor, um, that are in line with the vision and the approach. And if department heads are able to meet that, then we can have a conversation. But that's also a decision once I'm mayor, Kurt. So you will, you will not be saying during the campaign, you, 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 right now you don't know if you would appoint them or not? Uh, I, I, I'm trying to define how clearly, um, how clear I will be about what I expect of department um, heads, and then we will have a conversation with those who want to continue and see if it all aligns. Let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Emma. Um, the progressives on the city council usually vote in lockstep. I'm wondering, as mayor, would you be um, in lockstep with them? And if not, can you name three issues? Um, where you might disagree or have disagreed with the progressive city councilors? Good question. Well, thanks for the call. Um, you know, it's interesting when people talk about uh, progressives. I've been getting this question also a lot. There's a lot of different types of progressives, a lot of different types of Democrats, lots of different types of Republicans. I'm in the room with a couple of folks. And, you know, not everyone votes, thinks, oh, you're nonpartisan completely. Okay, good to know. Uh, not, not everyone thinks the same Nobody way, is, right? Yeah. Truly, right? Where yeah. Not everyone governns the same way. Not everyone yeah. has the same policy approaches. Um, and so, uh, so, you know, my approach, I'm really proud of, of how I have um, served as an elected leader. I've always been in the super minority when I was on the council. At one point, I was the one progressive on a council of 14 it was a bigger council back then uh in the state legislature i'm one i'm one of a five-member caucus which is a part of a 150 member body so the only way to go forward is to learn how to collaborate to compromise i serve on house commerce which as kurt might recall is uh, really probably the most moderate uh committee in the house it's it's uh chaired by or chaired by um, a Republican from the Northeast Kingdom. Uh, and I have been really proud around how to effectively move policy that's based on um, forming really strong relationships and colleagueship and figuring out how to really listen to each other. 
Uh, so in terms of um, moving forward, I'm going to really look at both bringing a pragmatism of what the city really needs to work. I think the city needs to function fundamentally. We have to make sure the streets are plowed, that the sidewalks are um, fixed, that we're dealing with. Obviously, community safety will be the number one priority. Um, so I'm really looking forward in terms of what the city needs forward and not backwards because it is what it is. And going forward, I want people to know my leadership style and um, look at how I have advanced policy in a collaborative style with with my colleagues. All right, let's go back to the phones. Uh, good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Uh, yes, good morning. Just wondering if you would excuse yourself from office uh, when it's, you know, you know, that time of the month. Oh, good. Anyway. Write that number down. Yeah. Um, Emma, what I want to ask you is, uh, actually just a quick one here, is you're in the legislature. Um, if you get, you'll stay in the legislature during the campaign. Will you, if you were elected, you'd take office in April. The le- the session has been going into May. Will you plan on filling out your term and not running for re-election? Or would you, would you resign for the last several weeks? Obviously, as you become mayor, it's very, very busy. What would be your plan to, to how to handle that in regard to uh, your duties in Montpelier? Right. Well, I definitely plan to um, serve up and through the election, and then if I'm if I win the mayor um, the mayor's seat, uh, that you're right, it starts in April. So I would step down at that point. Um, I want to make sure I'm fully focused on serving as mayor. It is a big job. We have some big challenges ahead. So I would make that transition. It is um, would be the very end of the two year term um, in the state legislature. And while I wish I could do both, it's just not realistic, and it wouldn't be. Um, uh, it wouldn't be right for the constituents of Chittenden 17 to have um, a, a state legislator who's not able to do that job well. All right, let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning, Kurt. Um, just like to respond to the candidate's uh, discussion with you. Go ahead. You're um, live on the air. I'd like to say that any candidate that will not commit to um, the police chief and extending his uh, his office does not have my vote, nor a lot of other people's votes, I'm certain. Thank you. You want to respond any more to that, Emma? I think we've, we've uh, talked a lot about that, and people, and as I said, it's a two-way street. Um, you know, I'm going to have conversations with all department heads if I'm elected, and it's a two-way street. Do you think you would, let's say as you're campaigning or you're in debates or whatever, and it gets continues to get brought up and, pub, and the public continues to want to know, because I think it's an issue people are really concerned about. Would that cause you in any way to feel like, hey, I need to figure this out before the election's over and, and make my position more clear? Uh, I So I'm two weeks into this race. Um, I'm talking to as many people as possible. And so I, I am open to hearing what people have to say. I have been talking to a lot of folks um, in my neighborhood and other parts of the city with uh, folks who work on community safety um, professionally, um, trying to really think deeply about what we need. And I really want to emphasize it's not one person who is the secret answer to how we're going to solve everything with community safety it's much more complex than that so we need um, multiple people at the table and we need to make sure we have the right people at the table uh, to going forward but does the issue of stability in the department the men and women uh, again have been more supportive of this chief than i think than have any chief i've known before whether it was del pozo whether it was mike Sherling. uh they seem to be more support for him in the ranks than there have been for other chiefs well, as I said, I'm looking forward to having these conversations and learning more. Um, and uh, I do really believe in continuity of government. Let me make sure that's clear. I think it's important in big transitions. We're going to have a new mayor no matter what. I think that's important, especially when there's so much uh, crisis on our streets. 
and it's a really big and an important decision that I think um, it, for anyone, um, if you're coming out of the gate with so much certainty, you're not listening to people. And I think you really need to go around and do your homework, listen to the full down in the, you know, the, the, uh, the foot patrol from for everyone who's on the like literally the front lines in the department, including those most impacted, those who've been victims of crime, those people who um, uh, have have uh, just personal experience in our, our lack of safety in our in our community and then make decisions from there. Let's go back to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Yeah. Hi. Good morning, all. Uh, yeah. Hi, Emma. I am wondering uh, what your thoughts are or your plans if you were to be elected on property taxes. I know we've got an expensive high school going on, project going on, and uh, you're talking a lot about road repairs and whatnot. But uh, uh, I always thought Moreau was uh, very fiscally resp- uh, responsible. And he did, he, you know, he really tried to get a grip on this stuff, and, and he did actually do that. What are your thoughts? Do you think we should be taxed more, or would you work toward trying to keep uh, property taxes lower? And I'll hang up and, and listen to, to your answer. Thanks for the question. Um, so I, I am part of the second part of my uh, platform so far is all about affordability. As I was talking about the at the top of the hour, uh, it's really critical that we maintain the economic diversity of Burlington, and that includes folks who are working class, who are working uh, working with with uh, families, with folks who are seniors in our community, and then we don't price people out, especially due to um, property taxes and fees for that matter in the city. Um, so I am very interested in exploring um, our how we do our municipal tax system, including looking at a, a progressive taxation process um, or a possibility. We've done we do that with property taxes. Uh, that we fund our education system with. Uh, and I was one of the proponents of trying to change our per pupil funding uh, weight models uh, on the statewide level to make sure that Burlington was pulling back more resources um, from the education fund to fund our schools because our student population has different needs um, that are more expensive and we were not pulling back as much as um, was truly the cost that to educate those students. So that will bring some more resources back to Burlington. But as I said, when it comes to municipal tax, I think we have more to explore to make sure we're uh, really thinking about affordability for those who have the most, those who have less, keeping it affordable. Um, I think we can also get creative with uh, thinking another other tax policy, but overall, um, I think affordability is a really important issue to be thinking about of just helping folks stay in in Burlington. Um, and uh, yeah, okay, no worries. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to uh, check in with Fox News. Amanda has the headlines. Uh, we've got the forecast for you, and then uh, Emma Mulvaney Stanek will be with us for the next segment. So keep informed with your community. The morning drive on FM ninety six three and AM six twenty WVMT. Welcome back to The Morning Drive, everybody. Continuing our discussion now with State Representative Emma Mulvaney-Stanick, more importantly, candidate for Mayor of Burlington, first one out of the gate. Uh, if you have a question for Emma, give us a call on the McKenzie Country Classic Hotline, 888 and you can ask a passionate question. Emma certainly understands passionate questions. She'll be prepared to answer them. But if you're going to call up to say something stupid, embarrassing, or embarrass yourself, uh, don't do it because you're not going to get through ever again if you do that. We're not going to have someone disrespected on the show. Um, so, Emma, before we go back to any phone lines, I want to ask you, um, again, just a little bit more on public safety. I want to hear what your public safety plan is going forward. We understand that going forward is the most important thing. But I know for a lot of voters, they also do feel like looking back is important because if you don't learn from history, you know, the old phrase, you're doomed to repeat history. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you, and I know that you've said, I think you said in your opening uh, announcement that you 
didn't want to address past issues. But I really do feel as, as a voter in Burlington and taxpayer in Burlington, and I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way, like six, all the progressives in 2020 voted for the resolution that I know they don't like to say defunded now, but essentially did reduce the police force. The goal of it was to reduce the police force, and it did. They were warned that it would come much faster than than they were than they were even guessing, and it did. Um, do you think that was a wise decision? All every progressive voted for that. I think so many residents have now seen the results of that. They've seen increased crime. They've seen a palpable difference in the city of Burlington than we've ever seen before. And I think that may not be the only reason, but a lot of people feel that was a big part of it. Where do you think that was the right decision by the council and every progressive that voted for that back in 2020? Well, I appreciate the question because I think I, I totally agree. I mean, we have to learn from uh, what we have to learn from from past decisions. We have to be responsive to how things evolve. Um, when we learn more and we look at um, how other things have unfolded on a statewide level uh, in terms that are contributing to um, our community safety needs. 2020 was a really difficult time for any elected official. Um, we were coming to, on a national wide level, a reckoning. And I would say in particular, um, uh, folks who are in leadership realizing that people are being harmed in many cases. Um, we're not police uh, communities in general are not sending the right response to people in mental health crises and whatnot. And as you know, like it's very hard to make decisions, right? You try to make decisions with all the information you have. Um, and there's a, re, there's a um, tendency to also respond with like a sense of urgency. We have to solve this right now because this is just so outrageous that people are, are being harmed or murdered or killed in, um, in these communities. So I really sympathize. There's, it's, it's really hard with yes and no votes. I always say a vote needs an asterisk right next to it to, to further explain why you made that decision at the time. So to your question, I don't know how I would have voted in 2020. Um, I think people did the best they could at that time with trying to come up with a different way forward. What I would do now going forward, though, is to make sure we have a, um, a right-sized police department. We have a lot more information that we um, have gathered over the last three years. We have the CNA report to look at, which um, I really appreciate the deep dive there around what is the type of um, community safety response we need in the city. Um, I don't think we fully have realized some of the alternative response um, programs that are not really stood up completely at this point. Uh, the CAHOOTS model that was started out on the West Coast, that's a, res that's a response to nonviolent crimes that are, or sorry, nonviolent uh, calls that are related to mental health or wellness checks or whatever it might be. Um, so I think at this point, um, we know a lot more and I would, I would want to make sure that we are building out a whole community safety response from the city that uses police as a portion of it, but also puts the resources adequately to respond to all the other aspects of um, community safety because people deserve to be safe in our community. I'm a mom of two small kids. I'm just going to say, like, I'm very committed to this issue. I'm very committed to figuring this out. I'm a deep thinker and I want to solve this problem. Um, it is the problem of our time um, and, and people are actively suffering and people are, are un feeling unsafe and that's not okay. And I, and I totally get all that, what you just said, but I, I do feel like a little bit like, as a voter and a taxpayer in Burlington, and I know a lot of people are going to feel the same way, that it feels like you're sort of ducking that question, though, like to say, to just, to just say, I don't know how I would have voted. Look, I wasn't on the council then, and I know I didn't support that. I thought it was a bad move. They were cautioned by the chief and others that this is going to really lead to potentially disastrous results. There was, in fact, a um, amendment to that resolution that would have uh, said, let's let's study this. Let's not take action now until we actually do a deep dive study on that. Um, but you th you don't want to give an answer as to whether you think it was a good idea. It feels like, is it because you don't want to say something negative against your progressive allies on the council? Uh, it just feels like you're not directly answering that. 
Well, I think it's. I think people want to know how I'm going to lead going forward, and the decisions are in front of us right well, looking now. Looking past is an important part of that, though. Well, it is, and what I will say is, you know, uh, in terms of um, my work in, in state government, there's a lot of issues that have compounded the problems in Burlington. It is not. I, I'm, I'm just going to say it is not just simply how many people are in a particular department um, that is going again going to simply solve or uh, solve this or add to the problem. Um, you know, some of the issues around the lack of treatment beds, the um, lack of opioid settlement funds um, flowing out of or where we've allocated them, flowing back to the communities, the um, the challenge of us, of the state legislature and the governor not actually building an adequate off ramp from the motel emergency housing program. These are all com- huge components that are contributing to it. So I think we need to expand the conversation around community safety um, because, again, the, the hyper focus on this piece is missing all the complexities that are also contributing to this issue. I'm going to try one more and then we'll go back to the phone lines. Not on this one, but on a connected one. Did you support the uh, ballot item last year? It was on the ballot, item number seven. It was the uh, to create a department, a committee, Department of Citizens that would meet out discipline to police officers. Did you support that? That was soundly rejected at the polls, but did you support that? I, I did personally vote for that. Yes, um, I th- I'm always an open book when it comes to my my votes when I'm asked as a, both a voter and certainly when I've been um, elected. I think that transparency is really important. Um, you know, I think that uh, this is part of, again, listening to what the community is really needing. I think uh, we have a lot of community oversight in a lot of aspects of city government and state government, for that matter. Um, this is one I'm going to continue to listen to with folks around. Let's get it right. Let's figure out what um, what that oversight means. I think uh, we have we have a lot to do around rethinking how we've built our policing system and our community safety systems. And I want to make sure we have um the voice, voices of folks who are most impacted at the table, as I said before, it's it's a very different conversation when you have people um, who are able to be part of the conversation and, and come up with solutions, but also keep our city accountable so it's responding appropriately. All right, well, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, in August, you wrote a letter to the mayor and uh, city council uh, saying that the, the financial review of the REI REIB office was biased against black women, and it was designed to, to harm black women. This is the, the Juneteenth thing. And um, and a lot of people at the same time, a lot of progressive activist, activists were accusing uh, Mira Weinberger of being a white supremacist and hating black women specifically. Um, you know, I think that's ridiculous, I and mean, I'm sure about maybe 30% of Burlington think so, but do, do you understand why uh, conservatives might think that's no Adeline and crazy and why do you why do you think people are sort of pushing back on those uh those statements this is the i think the taisha green question she obviously was under investigation in minnesota and then looked at in burlington for similar things so in his question i'd expand it to did you think that taisha green that the mayor was right to take a look back uh, a financial review of that department in light of what we had heard in minnesota well, I think that it's important to, to have consistency. Consistency is one of my core values um, in terms of making sure that we're treating department heads all in a consistent manner. So when there is, um, uh, mis- if there is mismanagement, if there, if there are questions, if there are things that come up, we should be responding in the same way uh, for every department head and holding, again, same expectations for every department head. That was one of the pieces I raised in my, my letter of concern is that I have not seen that from the current mayor. Um, I thought that this is, you know, one particular event to do a deep dive review on, but I had not seen that with um, how 
with the handling of um, the airport director um, in the past, a CEDO director in the past. Um, these other folks have been moved along. But the CEDO director was a completely different issue. It wasn't taxpayer funds. It was a personal issue that he had in San Francisco. The airport director was fired. Well, but I think in terms of the public, deep public review and um, this, of course, the review itself said that there was no, you know, fiscal mismanagement as well. Let's let's remember what the actual review came up with. So I th- but I think what it's important is as um, as a mayor to be reflective of where, where am I being consistent? Um, is this this is this rise to that same that level of needing that level of scrutiny? And then the other patterns, though, related to our EIB is making sure that we are um, giving that department the resources they, they need in order to to do effective work and also using the um, expertise and assets of the whole creation of that department to really advise the mayor and the city on building a more inclusive and equitable community. And I think that was also the, the, one of the main points I was trying to raise in that letter is that we can and should be doing better than we have been. Um, this is all intersectional when we talk about, again, community safety, when we talk about um, building a community that will draw and um, be a safe community for everyone. Uh, and when we think about, um, you know, uh, folks of color in our community feeling safe, I think we have to be reflective on that and understand where our own biases might be tend- tending us to make certain decisions with Folk, certain folks and not with others. But couldn't you, as, as well as having done that, also responded to sort of bring the temperature down by, by, uh, and showing leadership by saying, but you know what, with all that, let's bring down this temperature. Mayor Weinberger is not a white supremacist. He's, I mean, unless you believe that he is, do you think those charges were fair? And should we sort of ask people to ramp that down? That, that leads to just much more incivility when people are called these names like this. Well, I did not call anyone no, any names in my letter. So just to be clear, because I think it's important that people um, not continue to pile on to the divisive nature that Burlington has been in the throes of for years. That doesn't that that paralyzes government. It paralyzes any sense of community engagement and even like engaging with your neighbor. So I think um, th- that's where, again, this ability to have critical and complicated conversations with each other and to dive in and not get entrenched and positional where you um, refuse to even engage and talk. And, and as a leader, um, I want to be self-reflective. I want people to hold me accountable and have deeper conversations about where I get something wrong so I can learn and, and move forward. And that's that was what I was calling the mayor uh, to do was to really reflect on was was this a consistent approach. And I disagreed that this was a consistent approach of how he how he engaged other department heads who had other questions raised about their performance. You know, the ironic thing of that, that I'm thinking about the, the city council meeting that kind of went off the rails a little bit there <clears throat> and the grabbing of the microphone. And um, the ironic thing was the, the report was never read and the report basically uh, said there was no misdoing. But because of the, the way the meeting went, um, the the reality is is nothing got achieved except divisiveness and you were in the room that night um you were not in the room that night okay i had to work that night okay. <laughs> that darn second job yeah. okay yeah. well all right well that's that's good because we've talked to a lot of folks and i just i i'm sorry i made the assumption you were in the room uh because people said the the feel in the room was a lot different than you could see you know mm. on youtube uh and I, so that's why i wanted to ask your perspective on that because that was the irony though is it just it just went off the rails, and if they had read the report <laughs> publicly on the record, it would have said, hey, there's no wrongdoing mm-hmm. here. But there were some issues that were raised that were legitimate issues about hiring friends, about uh, the hiring process. About While there was no financial fraud that was brought out, there were some legitimate questions, yeah. which I as a taxpayer, frankly, do want to know about when my taxpayer dollars are being spent. And when we compare it to other things, I still say, you as mayor, you would have 
not looked into this, though? You would not have said, hey, we do need to take a look at this. Well, I think the thing that I appreciated towards the end of that report was um, citywide recommendations around tightening up fiscal policies. Um, I, I mean, I, I am very much, I'm the person who runs our, our, uh, our household expenses, for example. We need, you need to be transparent. You need to be consistent. You need to have strong fiscal um, policies that are being um, applied across the board. And so I think that only strengthens um, city government. But it is, I don't, it, as that report said, it is not unique to the REIB um, department around um, contracting and clarity and um, and making sure that things are timely filed. So I think if anything, that's a good learning for the city uh, to go going forward. Emma, as um, what would you do as mayor? What's your thoughts about uh, homeless encampments? They're springing up here, there, and everywhere. Some are on the green belts. Do you think that's there was one in Buell Street in the neighborhood just recently? College students were talking to the WCX about it about their fears. Uh, what would you do about that? What do you What do you think the policy should be? Is it okay to have homeless encampments on the green belts and near stores and other places? Well, as I said before, this is um, this is the outgrowth of the failure of the state government to figure out a, a responsible off ramp of, um, in part at least, of folks coming out of the GA emergency motel housing program. Um, people have nowhere else to go when the uh, when we have a lack. We're in this. Um, added crisis because we're in this gap between getting more uh, housing units built and online for folks in Vermont. We've gone decades without building enough housing, and now we're in the throes of the results of that. And so where do people locate? They're not going to go to Canaan uh, to to um, camp or be if they can't find housing anywhere and there's no place in the motel program. They're going to go to the larger cities. And this was exactly the issues I was raising towards the end of the session, that there's going to be a disproportional impact on communities like Burlington and Barrie and Rutland, um, and there's no added resources to support um, um, those cities, and that is a, a failure of state of the state legislature and governor, and we have to fix that when we go back in the session. I'm happy to talk more about camping. Uh, more about camping? Well, oh, the oh, question yeah, was about camping. Oh, yeah. I got you. I'm sorry. But, I'm sorry. Uh, let's go to the phones. Good morning. You're live on the morning drive. Good morning. Uh, I have a couple of questions for the representative. Number one, the status of Chief Murad. If you are elected mayor, will the will the chief? be secure in his job and if not what would be a reason that would cause you to remove him and number two with the word about JetBlue pulling out of the airport I'm curious about your feelings regarding the importance of our airport and how you would have voted uh, the other night about the lease extension if you had been voting at that time and I'll listen thank you Lot to unpack there. I was that was my next question is the F thirty five question. But go go ahead. Right. Uh, well, and I encourage the caller to listen a little bit earlier because I talked at length about my approach to department heads in general and and Chief Murad. Um, so in terms of uh, the JetBlue, I, th- I I haven't looked totally into all the reasons why JetBlue has decided to change um, its uh, its placement in Burlington at BTV. Uh, so I'll have to look into that more. But in terms of the the lease, the airport lease. Um, you know, I knew they were going to vote on that before I became mayor, so I was watching that more in the sense of um, how would I approach a similar question around a decade-long lease um, and in any capacity, regardless of who the leasee were. Um, and some of the some of the things I'm going to think about are um, what are the fiscal goals uh, for the city? What are um, other goals that might apply in this case? Our climate um, mitigation goals out there, um, and how do we make sure this is a financially sustainable partnership? Because uh, that's what leases are. Um, and I think it's important. I, I felt like the there was not enough um, 
I was surprised how quickly the decision was made, to be honest, because um, it is a 50-something year lease. I will be very old <laughs> by the time that lease expires. Um, and, I th- and I have just questions about... I'll be more than old. You'll be more than old. <laughs> well, let's hope, let's, we'll see what happens in 50 years from now. But I think it's any time a lease reopens um, is an opportunity to really uh, think deeply, do your research, see, see what else the, the um, city's needs are uh, in terms of um, bringing revenue into the city, uh, bringing stakeholders to the table who are also impacted by the airport. Um, we've expanded our airport commission, for example, for the very fact that Winooski is impacted, South Burlington is impacted by what decisions are made at the um, at the at the airport. So, would you, if you were mayor now, would you have? And and you were talking with the guard, and they were saying, "Hey, we need this extension. It's going to bring us in fifty million plus dollars." Um, would you have not brought that forward? The mayor Weinberger obviously brought that forward to the council. Would you have not? Would you not have brought that forward? Well, I'm meeting with the major general actually um, soon. I asked as soon as I saw this, and again, they all voted on it pretty much immediately from the time it hit the news and whatnot to learn more in general um, about the guard and and what and um, and and all the interworkings of what goes into that that lease and their placement. But I think um, I. I want to make sure there's a fair review and the time needed to really go deeply into how are other airports, municipal airports handling this. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a just automatically keep si- re-signing it because I think we're locking future generations into a very big and long lease. And there's a lot that's going to happen in the next 50 years that impacts our climate, impacts the fiscal health of the city. And I want to do my due diligence to make sure that we are um, being thorough in reviewing the terms of a 50-year lease. In regard to the F-35, uh, we, our congressional delegation has always been very supportive of it. Senator Leahy, Senator Welch, et cetera, the mayor. Uh, would you, would, would it be a different, would there be a change in policy toward the F-35 if you became mayor? Would you try to use the position to find ways to stop the F-35 from being here? Uh, would you, um, would you, would you support Gene Bergman? Gene Bergman has made a call that he is going to try to change the Air Guard's mission. Would you, would you do that as mayor? Well, I don't know if you can change the mission of the Air Guard. I think that might be a state level um, uh, piece. I and mean, of course, the city council can pass resolutions and send you know, um, their opinions and, uh, to, to state government. I mean, if you dig far enough into my past here, I mean, I'm an open book of where I've been on position. Um, I have not supported the F-35s. I think there's a real negative quality of life issue. There's the question of the, um, the larger um, massive investments in those large warplanes at the expense, frankly, of lots of other things we're trying to fund on the federal government. I think the question is like the part, the role of city government, um, and it's and that partnership piece again, back and forth of what the guard is and what else um, the guard can be doing other than the placement of these F thirty five planes. Um, I, you know, I think I, I just want people to know that I I want I am a consistent leader like i'm not going to run away from that position because i think there is a really negative quality anyone who's been outside there's a negative quality of life there's um, folks who've been traumatized from war-torn areas that are living in our area now we have to be thoughtful about it and even the guard though themselves says these planes may not be located here for an extended period of time so again as things keep changing we have to have the ability to be flexible in our um, partnership with the guard to really respond to the needs of our local community we're just about out of time emma thanks for being on today but uh my last one for you if you can give a fairly short answer to this even though it's a complicated question so i apologize but uh qualified immunity for police for law enforcement it's been a big issue it was proposed in montpelier uh are you in support of that mike Sherling, our former police chief and the public safety commissioner at the time said, this is a non-starter. This will lead to, uh, in a time of recruitment and uh, retention issues, this will exacerbate the problem. Do you and have you supported doing away with qualified immunity for police officers, law enforcement? 
So I don't serve on judiciary, so um, it is not, I have to, I mean, I honestly have to look back at um, if there's been bills brought forward. Um, in general, I think that we need to have um, police accountability for uh, for when when um, pl- in terms of police um, officers' behavior, it's a professional conduct issue to me. I think the larger issue, of course, is one of rebuilding the culture in our police department so that we have a, a department where people are proud to come and serve, uh, that we can recruit folks, that we can retain folks. Um, and it's to me, it's bigger than any one issue, including qualified immunity. All right. That's uh, the hour went by fast. And uh, Emma, thanks for being on the morning drive today. I hope we can get you back before March 5th. All right. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming in. Uh, great conversation. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to check in with ABC News. Amanda's got the headlines. We got the forecast for you. Uh, and we'll be back.